Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. I'm your host, Paul Arnold, joined by Ernest Watts, and we're back again to talk about NFL football, NBA with LeBron James, and who else? Maybe even some nostalgic college basketball broadcaster known as Ernest? Ah, Billy Packer. For us guys in their 60s and more, Billy Packer was about the biggest name you could have in college basketball. Bigger than Dickie V, bigger than... Who else is around these days, Ernest? Billis. Billis. Billis does a pretty good job. I'm, you know, even even with my anti-Duke bias, I, I enjoy watching Billis. He has that sly, sarcastic voice. I mean, Vital's become a character of himself. And he, he gives... He gave Patino a free ride. I mean, come on now. He just he's just not that I mean, Billis does a solid, solid job. Uh he is probably it. I'm not a big Grant Hill fan. I don't think Hill I mean he doesn't bring anything. Rafferty is more than his his onions. I mean, he he does a pretty solid job, and he's not doing that shtick he does. Can you say onions even higher? Onions! I was just trying like Rafferty does. The kiss! I mean, Rafferty's been... I remember when Rafferty was coaching at Seton Hall. And I think he does a pretty good job. I just don't think he has to do that shtick he does usually. The the send it down to Rome. I mean, I, I think he's pretty solid. Like I said, Grant Hill... Uh, doesn't really do that much for me. Walton's more the the, the sideshow factor to listen to Walton do it uh, because you just don't know what he's going to say. But he again, it detracts from the game itself. Love Bill Walton to death, but as a broadcaster, you don't know what you're going to get. Which, speaking of, you heard the big controversy this week as we dip into the football about the NFL officials with the playoff games. No, no, about Tony Romo. Shannon Sharp is convinced that Romo was going to drop an N-word and caught himself. And when you look at the tape, it surely sounds like it. In what context? Uh, three guys were tackling, and he basically says three it, uh, linebackers are tackling him. Oh, it's, it's, you can go on the wide world web and, and just put in Tony Romo N-word. And you'll see it and hear it. I mean, it's. I don't think he was doing that. I think he just got caught up in himself. I mean, he has declined severely as a quality of a broadcaster this year. I never was a big fan of his. But this year, you can tell. Wizards doing Wizards or whatever he was saying this weekend. His, ever since he got the big contract, I don't think he's doing that good a job and even with a game like that and that the AFC championship game was a game you could just sit back and not talk I mean it was it was even with the bad officiating as I segue into the NFL even with the bad officiating that was a, a good good game yeah let's talk NFL and I'm not sure if you're right about Tony Romo declining too much he still is entertaining he still comes across as pretty fresh and um, But let's talk about the two games. I made sure I was home. I was all excited. I made some wings in the oven, brought them out. I was just enjoying it. And the first game, 
And uh, then Purdy goes down. Well, it was it was like you said, it was so over before we even got started. And I saw that hit, and I thought, wow, that's about as hard as a hit I've ever seen on an elbow of a quarterback. It's amazing more quarterbacks are not injured in the elbow like Purdy was. And then after he was out, I thought, they're so done. And I was a little surprised that the Eagles weren't scoring more until they finally realized, hey, we need to run the ball and put this thing away. The thing that scares me the most about the Eagles is if Hurts get hurt, here we go again, you're just making fun of names, I think... Minshew doesn't have enough for them to win at all. It all comes back to that quarterback, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And he's a, he runs the ball quite a bit, and that shoulder injury has not completely healed. Uh, and, you know, Saunders was a second-string running back at Penn State. I, I just don't have a lot of faith on him, but Brown. And has there ever been a better trade that wound up costing the Titans uh, general manager his job as the Brown trade? And the whole thing, and I am related to a Titans fan, and he bemoaned it when it came. It was just the idea that they didn't want to pay Brown the big contract. But you see what what he can do. And those wide receivers just open everything up. And then, you know, if you double double him, Brown, and you double uh, the guy from Alabama, his name escapes me real fast. Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith, you double Devontae Smith, you double Brown, you double uh, Dallas Goddard. By the way, Dallas Goddard is the only Dallas to make it to the Super Bowl in 30 years. Ba-bum-bum. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, there's no one left to spy on Hurts running the ball. RV runs an RPO. And, it's you know, it's a pretty simple system, but it's it's – Again, it's it just works, but it's it's we saw when Hertz got injured. I'm not gonna say Hertz got hurt. When Hertz got injured, and and, and Mishu had to, the mustache had to come in. Uh, they just weren't efficient. They lost those two games. You saw Hertz so when he got tackled. You could see him grimacing. So he I'm isn't. He's not healed up. Why didn't they take him out earlier? I mean, I'm just sitting there going, the game's over. You know, you had, first of all, you had a, a 65-year-old quarterback come in. Listen, Josh Johnson, you know where he played college ball at? Virginia Tech? No, 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 no. San Diego University. You know who his college coach was? Harbaugh. Yes, it was Harbaugh's first college job. And he was his coach. And they basically, they weren't what was Division One at that time. But he has played for... 15 teams in 16 years, three different leagues at this time. And, you know, he's just mediocre. He is the definition. If you go to the Webster's Dictionary, you look up uh, journeyman quarterback, they have a picture of Josh Johnson. Yeah, I but mean, you, he's got to be the richest mediocre quarterback in history if he's stuck around for 15 years. Or he, or he's not the richest. He's blown it all. He has to work to take that abuse and hit. And then when they brought Purdy in, I mean, he's got an elbow injury. He could not throw. And Phil Levy just filled up the box. I mean, it was it was over. I hate it because I think if Purdy was healthy, it would have been a competitive game. I still think Philadelphia would have won. 
but at least it would have been a competitive game in that respect. All right, so love it or hate it, Eagles fly, Eagles fly. Oh, the song? Yes. It's horrible. Are you Charles Barkley on me? It's horrible. Horrible. I mean, it's you still love your blue. That's always the, the best. The old Houston Oilers. Houston, that was the best one of all time. Or the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Shuffle by the Bears. How about San was, Diego Superchargers? And uh, I still take Super Bowl Shuffle. That's it. But, you know, you hear them sing, you know, when I play football. That's all I'll say, all the songs. But, I mean, it's interesting. You've, you've This Super Bowl, it's either the Andy Reid Bowl or it's the, the Kelsey Bowl. Because uh, the Kelsey brothers being on both teams, Nick Sirianni was fired by Andy Reid when Andy Reid came to Kansas City. He cleaned house, and that was one of the guys he fired. So you've got uh, retribution or revenge bowl, I guess, in that respect. You got uh, Philly cheesesteaks versus KC barbecue. Can't go wrong with either one of those. It's just, we got this, and a two-week delay, I think, helps. The Chiefs, even though one of the offensive linemen come back for Philadelphia, but but hopefully you can get some of those receivers back. I mean, the question has come up: Who's the best quarterback right now? And you hear a lot of people talk about Burrow and the mayor of Cincinnati talking about being uh, Burrowhead Stadium. But when you look at Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and Kansas City, look at the wide receivers Cincinnati has. I mean, you've got three all-stars and a great tight end. Uh, same thing for Philadelphia. Two great wide receivers, an above-average tight end in Dallas Goddard. What does Mahomes have to throw to other than Travis Kelsey? Retreads. Retreads from Green Bay and Steelers. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, the Giants, too. The world draft choice that the Giants got rid of. And that just shows you what he was able to do. It's, it's going to come down to what that offensive line can do to keep Hassan Wart and a couple of the guys on the defensive line off the back, how well that, that high ankle sprain is, and uh, how much Chris Smith and a few of those other guys for Kansas City puts pressure on Hurts, or they contain Hurts and keep him in the pocket. So look, before we break down the second game, I'm going to give you a quick take on, I think, the Super Bowl. I'm just going to go there. I got okay. controls here. Um, I'm going to go with Casey because of Mahomes. Because Mahomes wills himself to run on a bad leg. He works the sideline. Both quarterbacks are excellent leaders. But Mahomes has been there. He he's known what he has, and I think he can throw the ball better, so much better than Hurts. Hurts can throw the ball. Don't get me wrong, but Mahomes does things we've just taken for granted recently. I mean, he continues to be creative. Sometimes he overextends it, but he is more dialed in, more focused, more vocal than I've ever seen him before. He's got the whole team just loving on him. And the other X factor is going to make the difference between the two teams: Chris Jones. That guy, what he wants to get to the quarterback, it doesn't matter if they double-team him or not. He's going to get there. I've never seen such a strong guy. I think he reminds me of like a Reggie White. He is just so huge, and he he has the technique. He has the strength. I think if he's healthy, 
I think KC wins it. I think by mm, oh, seven wait, points. Wait a minute, I got a text message from Aaron Donald. <laughs> see, it says how quickly they forget. Okay, all right, got that one in there. All right, remember now, we had a pretty good one in the last Super Bowl. Uh, you know, this will be the, and, and it reminds me of a story, but once I say it, this is the first Super Bowl with two African-American quarterbacks, which was the old story um, when Doug Williams was playing for the Redskins. He was being interviewed for the Super Bowl, and the questioner from England said, how long have you been a black quarterback? And Doug Williams said, all my life, brother, all my life. So, I mean, that doesn't even come up. I guess, is that some sign as a society where that that information about two African-American quarterbacks for the first time in the Super Bowl is, I mean, that 10 years ago, that would have been big news. They did a special piece up here on the 6 o'clock news, and they asked the question, is this a big deal or not? And the African-American people respond said, yes, it's still a big deal until we ha- can stop talking about it. But I think the NFL for at least 10 years has been saying, hey, the best player is what we need to win. But I do think the definition of a quarterback has expanded. It doesn't have to be a pocket passer. and It doesn't have to be a Tom Brady. And Hurts just proved that one more time. Yeah, I remember the Eagles were given a hard time for drafting him. They thought uh, at that time they had – uh, uh, Carson Wirtz coming back, and they thought, well, this is just a guy to back him His up. His name was Wentz, but Wirtz is how he played. Well, he's Wirtz now among all of us in that respect. But, you know, it's another fact you talked about Mahomes, and I think I could tell that he's been tired of everybody burying him the last couple of years, particularly since he lost the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay. And last year, they blew a 21 nothing lead to Cincinnati AFC Championship. Because you notice the comment when they interviewed it, I don't have any victory cigars. Well, Burrow always smokes a cigar after a victory. And I think I think he focused this year. And I think there was a lot of shade thrown by his former wide receiver now in Miami, how Miami was a better team than Kansas City when he went there, which obviously they weren't because they didn't make the playoffs. I think this kind of renewed it. And it's hard to believe he's only 27. He's This will be his third Super Bowl. And, it, and if he wins it, two Super Bowl victories, this is kind of a small room, guys with multiple Super Bowl rings. Ain't a whole lot of them walking around. Bradshaw, Plunkett, Star. And he's definitely the face of the NFL now. I mean, Brady and Rodgers are fading away. Mahomes has more commercials. Yeah, he's the face of the NFL. So who do you pick for the Super Bowl? Wow. Uh, That offensive line worries me. Uh, I'm rooting for Kansas City, but I think Philadelphia will win. I really do. I am rooting for Kansas City. I mean, I like Andy Reid. Uh, it's been a rough year for him. He's got a son who's most likely going to be convicted and go to prison for a vehicular manslaughter. Uh, a lot of people started questioning his play calling in that AFC championship last year when he just forgot to run the ball. They have plugged in so many rookies. Uh, they got the kid at running back. They got four guys in defensive backfield rookies. But they're all talented. 
I mean, they have, this is not the same team that lost to Tampa Bay two years ago by many respects. The different backfield, but the only ones that are left are Chris Jones and, and Kelsey and, and Mahomes. The rest of the teams have been really, they redid the whole offensive line. So they've done a pretty good job. Like I said, I'll root for Kansas City. I'm not doing this to like waffle, but I, I think Philadelphia's year, and I like their defense. They're a solid team. They don't need that much from a quarterback. Hertz will not win the game. He'll manage the game for them. For Kansas City to win, Mahomes will have to win the game. He'll have to throw for at least 300 yards, and it'll have to be a high-scoring game. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's that's basically how I feel. Well, let's get Daddy, to... Daddy, hit up the officials? Yes, yeah, the... read my mind. So right. the most controversial play, if you didn't see it, folks, was that Kansas City had the ball. It was third down and long. They're, they needed to go down and score, and they didn't make it. The play didn't work, but they got a do-over because there was a back-line judge, if you call him that, was trying to run on the field saying, stop, stop, the play clock is wrong, this play should stop, but... The ball was already hiked, and or he, it, between the time he started running, the ball was hiked, and he didn't want to get in the midst of everything, and they didn't hear him. So that guy ran over to the lead official, said, hey, that play shouldn't have counted. And they said, okay, we're going to do it all over. To, much to the screaming cries of pain through Cincinnati. Was that the right call, Ernest? Oh, yeah. The official a play before had said, the clock will not start to the snap of the ball. It's third down. There had been a penalty. Called the penalty, marched it off. And again, I think it was third and 13. And game clock would not blow till the uh, whistle blew. Well, the backfield judge, who was positioned watching the clock, that that's his job, saw that the clock continued to move after the official said this. He comes running in. And again, that's his job to look at the game clock. And he's waving his arms, but he's coming from a long distance. And the other officials did not see it. Now, remember, in the playoffs, you don't have the same officiating crew. You have what's an all-star crew. So these guys, before the playoffs, have not worked together. So the things, the familiarity, that that takes a backseat in that respect. So... Yeah, it was the right one. It was the officials for not recognizing the one in the back because he was waving his hands, but it was so loud no one heard him. I mean, I know when the play came, I got thing Goodell's up there going, please, Cincinnati win, please, Cincinnati win. So we don't have to hear about this the rest of the year. And then the other play that, that Cincinnati people is this, is uh, uh, I think his name Osei, uh, Mahomes on the last drive, there's, 13 seconds left to go. They're not in field goal range. She runs out of bounds, and he's got two feet in bounds, and he just wipes Mahone out, wipes himself out because he slams into the, the bench. It's fascinating because on the Internet, there's one of the other linebackers, uh, Jermaine Pratt, as he goes to the locker room, and I will clean up what he said. Basically, is this was my last year, and you ought to know, don't touch the quarterback. Uh, which kind of faces the comment because they, and I do, I think if they'd gone overtime, most likely Cincinnati will have won. But that set up and uh, kicked the field goal and they win. 
Yeah, I felt bad for the guy for Cincinnati. He had played a great game. He was a rookie, had sacked a few times, and um, and he knew he didn't know where he was at. That's the thing. The speed of the game is f- so far beyond what we realize at home watching on TV. And you've seen this. On the field, That they're running so fast, so quick. I mean, zip, zip. And that guy is so consumed, like, I got to get him out of bounds. It wasn't a vicious hit, but it was definitely a big shove after Mahomes was two steps out. So it did make the yeah. difference. But uh, Audrey, my wife said... Replay, Mahomes makes a dive. Mahomes made it look worse than it was. Oh, I don't know about that. But the thing that my wife said is, you know, that was one play. It, you know, one play, you think, oh, it changed the whole game. It did at that point, but so many other plays during the whole game influenced that one moment, too. It wasn't just that one play, but it seemed like it to me. Yeah, I mean, you look at the interceptions that Burrow, he threw two. I mean, you know, you penalty is a penalty. Whether it's the last minute or the first minute. And that was an egregious penalty that anybody could see. I mean, when you... They get near the sideline, you know, it's not like a running back is going to dip in and gather two or three more yards. He was headed out. There was no need to hit him. I mean, it's just a frustration. I think a lot of other things. I mean, the officiating wasn't great, but I think it was mutually the same way for both teams. I mean, we, y'all heard me rant. This is the 200th podcast. So the other 199. This is a billion-dollar sport, and we have amateur referees. Pay okay. the refs. Pay, pay them enough where this is their only job, and they're out running pencil factories and, and lawyers and everything the rest of the time. You've got a million-dollar industry in the hands of, artifi- uh, again, amateur officials. And again, pick your best crew. Don't pick guys and create an all-star. All-star games are the worst because guys haven't played together for players. What do you think it is for officials? Pick the best crews, let them do the games. And then you'll have a cohesive unit and you'll have things that work out a lot better. But, you know, again, there's a million ifs and buts, candy and nuts on what a Christmas would have. Cincinnati had a great year. They won 10 straight. I mean, the beginning of the season, they were a 500 team. They just got to be in position. They played every playoff game the last two years on the road. How about get your record so you can play at home? Well, one. They did one home game against uh, Baltimore this year. Right. But again, that came down to the last play. Well, let's talk about the earlier game with the Eagles and 49ers. That game was so far over, and then it got chippy. When was the last time you saw both teams come on the field like that game? In the old days when the Chiefs and the Raiders used to play. <laughs> and the Raiders and the Steelers used to play. Uh, I'm sure there were some fines we haven't heard about that. I mean, it's things have changed so much with the, the idea of, of free agency and with a lot of these guys having the same agents. In the old days, guys didn't have agents. They had other jobs. And it's almost like a fraternity. You see the hugs and the and the signing jerseys and everything at the end of the game. And it's kind of hard to have animosity for somebody. You might be on their team next year. But in the old days, that was that was common in that respect. But nobody shook hands at the end of the games back then. You went to the locker room. So that's 
I almost warmed my heart to see that. I like to see a little bit of <laughs> pushing and shoving and spirit and all that in respect. And or how about and, Williams for San Francisco doing a wrestling move on, uh, I think Wallace for the Eagles, where he just grabbed him by the horse collar and just oh, yeah. slammed him like a rag doll, and it made me think these guys are like superheroes practically. I mean, they're so strong. How about the punching? Uh, what was the penalty where he kept? trying to do the peanut punch and he just kept punching oh yes after the i can't remember that it's the linebacker for the uh 49ers yeah. uh what all yeah uh, again that i like the animosity that means that shows me that they take this not as a paycheck but getting to a super bowl and guys know there's no promise that you're going to be there next year I think at the beginning of the year, the Eagles were, the betting line was 250 to 1 to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, the Chiefs weren't considered a favorite. The Bills were, and Cincinnati was. Those are the teams who were going to be the favorites. Well, good all. That was the best punch by Fordin Anderson since Ken Norton Jr. Yes. That's an I old mean, man reference for those old time who, people out there. Who's their quarterback next year? Purdy, but there's rumors just recently. Floated. I don't know if it was done by anybody significantly, but that Rogers to the 49ers because he's from California. But I don't think Shanahan would put up with that stuff. So how about Brady? I could he's see Northern California too. Yeah, I could see Brady there quicker than I could see Aaron Rodgers. But then you let Purdy rest. You get one year out of Brady because. He's coming back. This is the same injury that um, Jake DeLone had after the Super Bowl. He had an elbow injury, and it took all of a year to get back. I mean, they're saying six-month recovery time. But it, and, you know, it isn't always assured. That's what ran Bradshaw out of the game. He had a UCL injury. He came back for one game, re-injured it, and never played again. So the elbow injury to a quarterback is, is kind of like a rotary cuff to a major league baseball player. It's, it's a difficult injury because you put so much stress on the elbow. Um, it's like throwing a slider in baseball. You, 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 to get that spin, you put a lot of torque on the elbow. So there's no, no, no way of being assured that it'll come back. And did you know that? I haven't had this question answered for me. They put Purdy back in with the bum elbow. Yeah, I see Grappolo in his jersey on the sidelines. Was he deactivated? I mean... He wasn't he got... in a jersey. He was just in like a, a, a okay, okay. jacket. And him and... Oh, jacket. I forget the other guy's name, not Love. What's the other guy's name? Um, um, and yeah. Him and... Him and the other starter were just sort of smiling, talking to each other, and I thought, well, that's a yeah. bad look right now when yeah. Purdy's hurting. Especially Grappolo. I wouldn't be surprised to see Grappolo go to Vegas. So we know Brady's going somewhere else. We know Rodgers is going somewhere else. We know Grappolo is going somewhere else. Uh, anybody else you think hitting the road? Trubisky <laughs> for Pittsburgh. Well, uh, Derek Carr. You Derek know, Carr, there you go. Yeah, Trubisky's going to be the backup. I mean, they're, they're committed to Kenny Pickett there. Yeah. 
And I would think probably Carson Wentz is going somewhere else, too. Well, let's talk about the college quarterbacks coming out. Um, I think Houston's in line probably to pick up, why is his name it's escaping me, the Alabama Bryant quarterback. Young. Bryant Young. Not Bryant Young. He was the defensive oh, yeah. lineman yeah. for the 49ers. It's Bryant, isn't it? Or boy, I'm like old people can't remember. <laughs> That's all right. But the I'm saying there's not a ton of quarterbacks out there this year. So there's I, three. There's the kid from Alabama. There's Stroud from Ohio State, and there's the uh, uh, kid from Kentucky, yeah. uh, Willis. Willis. That's that's the three. Yeah, and Ohio State quarterbacks have always done really great in the pros, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Arch Leister. <laughs> He's had a bidding chance. Oh, boom, boom, boom. That was another old man reference. Okay, yeah. so it's a good year for these retreads to go out and try to find a team. The question is how long. I think Brady signs one year with the 49ers. Sounds like a win-win for them. I think 49ers are close. They're very close. Oh, yeah. I mean, And they could arrange it. I mean, they've got two young quarterbacks who could sit another year and learn. Um, Rodgers, and the big rumors about him going to the Jets, I can't see him in New York. Far, see, far went to the Jets? Yeah, but Far didn't sit around and talk about philosophy. He was just chasing women. Uh, Rodgers is so full of himself. Could you see 50 reports? Could, you, could he survive the back pages of New York? newspaper and the sports writers now that'd be a bad mix bad mix Mm. i could see him going to the titans i could see him going to the saints i could see him going to tampa you think Tannehill's done uh i think that rogers or brady or even Carr would be an upgrade i don't know Carr's probably the same but I think he's kind of wore out his welcome in that respect. He's become injury prone. Yeah. Well, let's move I, on. I, we've made our picks for the Super Bowl, which is another week and a half away. So let's go to the king, LeBron, chasing down good old Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, last night he rested against the Nets, and he's going to play the Knicks tonight, and he loves playing in New York. There was lots of rumors over the years that he was going to be a New York Nick, um, but that did not happen. So, might still if they draft uh, his son. <laughs> so, where do you pr- predict LeBron making the record? You think he's going to wait to get back to LA to break it? I know he'd like to. I don't. He's 112 behind, so he's not going. to. He's not Kobe. He's not going to shoot that many times. He's not going to do it in New York. I think he'd rather do it in L.A., Cleveland, or Miami. They played Miami already, so that's out. Cleveland, if he couldn't do it at home in L.A. But But doubles his chances because he could play the Clippers in L.A. and be a road team. Yeah, L.A. just makes so much sense all around it. Do you think there's any chance Jenny Buss ever sells the L.A. Lakers? No, no, no. Put it this way. The Suns, the Phoenix Suns, okay? Good team. 
in a small market, would you agree? Yeah. Phoenix is a small market. Went for $3.8 billion. The Clippers went for $5 billion. What do you think the Lakers are worth? 20 and, and remember now, the Suns don't own their arena. The Lakers own their arena. Now, the Clippers are leaving. They're rebuilding at Englewood. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought I got rid of my cold, but I didn't. The Englewood dust got to you. Yes, it. Yeah, the idea of Englewood. Uh, so they're probably worth probably $10 billion at least. Who's going to buy it? Jeff Bezos? Is he, is he one of the, he's more of a Washington guy. Yeah, he's going to he buy won. the Reds. Uh, ooh, did I say that? The, I almost did it. The oh, Commanders. The ooh. Commies. The, yeah, the Commies. The Commanders. And probably buy the Nationals, too. So Washington really needs a quarterback. Do you think Carr will end up there? Carr could be there. Uh, I've actually heard Brady spoken. No. That's no. a division that's winnable, and it's got a great defense, and it's got a great offensive line. And they got pretty good receivers. Uh, uh, he, yeah, no, I can't see that. All right, well, we're losing steam oh, here. At least I'm losing steam. Let's let's well, talk. Well, let me about, give you a real quick one. Let me tell you about an incoming disaster. Okay, there's a good chance baseball is about to create have a major problem. Sinclair, which bought Bally's is going bankrupt. They have, roughly speaking, about 21 of the regional sports networks. That is a major part of revenue for Major League Baseball teams. If Sinclair cannot find a buyer and they go bankrupt, baseball teams are looking at, well, the Los Angeles Dodgers, that's $200 billion they get for a 20-year contract. Everything is below that. If the regional sports networks go away, and it's a chance, each baseball team is looking at a multi-million dollar loss of money. And this is scaring Major League Baseball to death. Because they will not get their games on the air. And baseball does not get that much revenue from attendance. They do not get that much from a national baseball contract. A lot of the money comes from the regional sports networks. So the next two months are going to be very, very interesting how it affects the grand old game. So I, I would argue that somebody will pick up the regional. If it's not Bally, somebody else, but it's going to be a reduced rate, right? They're not going to get the super and, big contract. They'll get a lesser contract. And... In a way, I'm sort of say, wake up, baseball. You can't just depend on the regional contract. You need to develop your sport better. And I thought you were going to talk about the AAA they're going to robot umpires. No, no, no. I mean, to the extent you're affecting a major part of income for these particular teams. And you're right. They haven't foreseen this. They have, even, you know, they're going to have to renegotiate the contracts because they all this – Money, the golden age of baseball getting money for local broadcasts, that's over. 
So there's going to have to be some refinancing, some restabilization, and that's going to affect what baseball teams can pay and what they can pay for. Unless, and this has been floated around, Major League Baseball buys all the RSNs, the regional sports networks. Well, they already own MLB, so they could just make it part of MLB and sell their own subscriptions. Well, some of them have it already because the Yankees own theirs. Red Sox owns theirs. The Dodgers has a relationship with with Spectrum. But you have other sports linked up with this. But as, as cable viewing has changed, and mostly it's older folks like you and myself, sorry to throw you in there, that have the classic uh, type of scroll and watch. You know, younger people, on an average, don't watch as much live sports as we do. And they're cutting the cord. and That's affecting a lot of these regional sports networks because they're tied to cable networks more than satellite. And you may see Paramount... Uh, Peacock, um, Hulu, get into baseball more. Uh, right now, Peacock has a Sunday morning broadcast. Apple has a Friday after Friday night. Well, broadcast. Amazon seems to have plenty of money to throw around, and so, like we are Amazon Prime because, of course, we want all that shipping all year long, and we use Sling too, which is a pretty good streaming service, and we just have. Xfinity just for the internet, um, and so that works for us. But you're right; there's just going to be a different combination of getting patching it together. But I still think baseball still has to address some core issues. They're slow to go, um, but you know, baseball, its essence, just the way the game is played, still is attractive. I was watching a highlight from the Venezuelan championship today <laughs> and uh a guy castro plays for the tigers hit a walk-off home run and the crowds were going crazy it was probably the size of a good-sized minor league you know stadium probably about twenty thousand people but it was jam-packed there was so much fun there's still elements of baseball when especially when you get to playoffs that's it's so tense it's so exciting without having to score a lot of runs and it just i don't know how you get back get baseball interesting again day in and day out. I just am not interested day in, day out to watch it. It's more of an American thing because this year is the World Baseball Classic and you'll see the games played in Japan, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, even in Europe, and you'll see loyal. And then they play our games in San Diego and Miami. And, and everybody thought when the Miami franchise was put there, the original floor of Marlins, it would bring in a, a huge huge uh, Hispanic population and be this, the stands are packed. And it's like the whole story about when Jerry Van, uh, Jack Van Cook bought the Kings. And he said he bought the Kings because there were 100,000 Canadians that lived in Los Angeles. And when he sold the team, they said, what went wrong? Well, they said, the reason those 100,000 Canadians live in Los Angeles is because they hate hockey. And it just seems like Southern mm-hmm. Florida just doesn't Love baseball, not the extent that you see in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and in Mexico and other areas, the, the American Hispanic population doesn't have that passion for the sport. So I love seeing passion on TV. So I'd rather watch 
a premier soccer league game from England where the people are so passionately into it and singing. You can sense that that energy in the stadium. Then watching a, a baseball game in America with only you know 6,000 people in the stands who could care less and they're just trying to catch a baseball with a beer in one hand and a baby in another hand and then catch the baseball and the beer. I mean, that's it just baseball is so relaxing to the point that on TV it doesn't work much anymore. Yeah, I mean we we're looking for solutions, but we're fans, but we're we're in the age group that supposedly is a sweet spot for the fans, people over the age of sixty. But but again, there's some financial issues they're looking at, and that's the reason why you've got Artie Moreno could not sell the Angels, so he took them off the market. The Marlins can't be sold. There's about six franchises up for sale right now. And they look at what NBA and NFL franchises go for, and they're not going to get anything close to that amount of money. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're ready to embrace soccer in the United States. I mean, it's around, but it's not quite that level yet. But let's let's get to some other sports before we wrap this baby up. One thing I'd just like to ask you is the USFL is coming back for its second season and its second reincarnation. I see that Fox is purport, you know, pushing it quite a bit. I know I always go through a football withdrawal. Is the USFL going to be better this year than last year? Well, now, the XFL is coming earlier. The XFL starts the 18th, and they're going to be on Disney. And they're going to be on ABC and ESPN. And that's the Rock owns the league. So they'll play to about mid-May. And then the USFL, now the XFL is going to play in their home stadiums. And the USFL is going to play, they're going to double up teams and play, the eight teams are going to play in four stadiums. They're going to play in Memphis. They're going to play in Birmingham. They're going to play at uh, uh, your stadium there in Detroit. Yep, Ford Field. Ford Field. And I'm trying to think the other one. Uh, They're going to play Canton, Ohio. So as opposed to being one location last year, there are four. And again, this is more of a development league. They're not worried about attendance as much as the XFL. Now, when the XFL two years ago, before COVID get in, had some respectable crowds. Now, they've moved some franchises. You worry anytime they move away from the media centers. And they've moved from L.A. and New York to Las Vegas and San Antonio, and they moved the Tampa Bay franchise to Orlando, which I don't, you know, don't think it means that much. But you're having two leagues at the same time, so I think the quality of play, most naturally, is going to be lower for both. Just because I don't know if we have, well, you're talking about 16 new teams with 60, 50 guys on the roster. Well, do the number. That's 800 football players. Will the XFL football be the black one like they used to have? Uh, no, they go to one that's got little colors for each team. It's it's different in every team. The striping. It's a brown football, but if, like, you're playing for Vegas, it's got the, the gold and the, the black on the end lines. But, uh, and, you know, the, none of the quarterbacks, I will give you this, on both leagues, they're not retreads. Like, when the XFL played last time, the Josh Johnson was one of the star quarterbacks, which tells you about the quarterback league. 
Uh, so they're going for a lot of young guys. I don't see any of the quarterbacks that are over the age of 25. So I, I do think they're taking seriously as a development. And I think they're not worried about big ratings because college football doesn't really draw until March to a tournament. Hockey, you know, does okay. It's not like going against NFL. And they think people will miss football enough to watch it. And they don't think there'll be some really fanatics, and I am one of them, that I will watch because I enjoy watching football. Now, you'll see tight shots, so they don't show you the crowd. But they play a lot of the games in soccer-only stadiums. They play in, like, uh, D.C. United Stadium. The XFL does. The, the D.C. Defenders. So those only seat about 20,000 people. So you can draw 20, and it looks pretty packed, even though you realize it's a much smaller stadium. And when the XFL played two years ago, the, the St. Louis team, which, of course, was missing the Cardinals, I mean, the Rams, Rams and the Cardinals, they were filling up the entire bottom section of uh, the Dome Stadium there. Seattle was doing pretty good. I mean, they're trying to pick areas that they don't have competition from hockey or basketball or, or baseball in that respect. But it's, it's a long-term thing. And the way these leagues always fail is they can't live with the losses the first year. Now, the guy with the USFL is owned by Fox and him. So they have equity in it. Um, the Rock has not sold any equity in the XFL yet. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we're running close in time here. So we want to talk about Billy Packer before we wrap this baby up. Both Ernest and I used to watch on Saturdays. NBC would have uh, college basketball, Billy Packer, uh, McGuire and Dick Emberg would be on the three of them. And it was great announcing, great fun, because he had two former coaches with a really good play-by-play guy that stayed to play-to-play. And it was really fun to watch. I mean, watching um, Samson and Magic and all these players come through. And then Packer went over to CBS, broadcast many years of Jim Nance, many different uh, Final Fours. So, Ernest, in your mind of sportscasters, where does Billy Packard line up? Oh, the best college basketball. He's very acerbic, and he criticized at a time where, you know, he was the, the mirror image of Vital. He criticized things. Uh, one of the last games he did was Kansas-Carolina. Carolina fell down by 24. In the first half, he said, this game's over. And I kind of knew, oops, CBS ain't going to like that that much, but he told the truth. He, uh, I remember when he played at Wake Forest and he went to the Final Four. That was 62-63. I was just a kid. But people don't realize there was no national broadcasting of college basketball to 1972. Even the Final Four was not shown naturally. There was uh, something called TVS, which was a syndication network owned by uh, Eddie Einhorn. He used to own the, the White Sox, joint with Reinsdorf. And... Uh, they would sell, and, and not all the country would get it. And at the same time, uh, in ACC country, uh, C.D. Chesley had a regional network, which would show ACC games. And Billy Packer started doing it with uh, Jim Thacker. It was Thacker and Packer. About 1971, 
and that was way before he started doing the national games. Uh, and they they brought him, and like I said, he he rolled with the punches, but he said always what he thought. I mean, he never held back in that respect, and knew the game of basketball. His dad was longtime coach at Lehigh University. He was from Pennsylvania. Uh, he was an assistant coach at Wake Forest under Bones McKinney for a while. But very observant. His son now works on the ACC network. He does uh, mostly uh, programming on their broadcasting that respect. He was a he, he was a bit of an oddball. He played golf backwards. He would tee off from the hole and hit to the pin. One of his many quirks. Made a lot of money in real estate. But there was just a great mixture of the solid pro of Dick Enberg. The 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 seriousness and the cutting ability of, of Billy Packer, and then the whimsical Al McGuire, which people don't remember Al McGuire. Al would just would just go off on tangents. Al was like Bill Walton is these days. You never knew what he was going to say. And they would argue back and forth. But it was you put that in the uh, the, the original Monday night football crew after the second year at Gifford. Because Alan Meredith, and those were the two best broadcasting teams I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and Packery is the best college basketball broadcaster ever. I'm not a Vital fan. Uh, he looks the other way. A lot of coaches who do uh, under-the-table stuff. I mean, to this day, he will admit that Patino was crooked. Uh, I, I do like Jay Billis, even though he's a dookie. Uh, I think he does a pretty good job, but, uh, and again, he, he did putt-putt tournaments. The old days you'd turn on Saturday morning and world of putt-putt and he broadcast putt-putt games, which they had professional putt-putt and it was filmed in Fayetteville, North Carolina and shown worldwide. And it was the strangest thing to see him do that. But again, he was the same in 1972 as he was when he did his last game, which I think was the Memphis, um, um, uh, Kansas game. I think, yeah, that was the last game he ever did. And he passed away this week. And so we tribute to Billy Packard for all those good calls and, uh, you know, good color announcer gives you a sense of the game that you don't get sitting in the stands, a sense of someone knows the X's and O's that understands the play and can give you a sense of what's coming up next in a way, you know, sort of give, ins- I, go ahead. I mean, I mean, cut you off. Uh, Tim McCarver summed this up the best I ever said. He said, a good color guy tells you what's going to happen. He does not tell you what's happened already in television because the medium of television, you see what's happened. You want to know what happens next. And I think that summarized that. And that's what I think me and you tried to do when we were doing radio some time ago, back in the old days with Marconi being our engineer. We actually did TV, if you can believe it. Uh, Yeah, we did TV too. And that that was always, I read that one time by, by, and I thought, and Billy Packer did that. He told you what was going to happen next. And I think that's the key to a good color guy. On television, because you you see that if you're sophisticated enough, people get after me because I watch a lot of games with the sound down. Because I don't want to sound egotistical, but it will. 
I've watched sports long enough. I know what's happened. I, I, there are guys I listen to, and, and Biddles is good at that, that I want to know what's happening next. What's the mindset? What's the coach going to do? Uh, what's what's the corrections are going to be? Well, I know what's going to happen next. i got to wrap this podcast up. Awesome. <laughs> but this is good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I'd be curious, if you have your favorite color announcer, whether it be Aikman or Romo or whoever it may be, Send it to me at gobluearnold at gmail.com, and I'll read your comments on our next podcast. If it needs to be edited, I'll clean it up, but hopefully you'll have some clean comments there. And who's your worst? Who's your worst color commentator? Who's your favorite? So, Ernest Watts, any last comments before we wrap this up? Uh, Y'all be careful. Uh, Still winter. We'll be for another month. Uh, You got Valentine's come up. Better start thinking of it. (laughs) <laughs> and don't forget Abe Lincoln. Okay, everybody, George Washington's birthday. George, give Abe some love, okay? It's his birthday, too, coming up. Those are words to live by. Give Abe some love. And, and look out for the groundhog. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Groundhog's Day in a while, go back. Enjoy it for a while. I had my boss today. I sent out an email, and I get an email back, and it's repeating itself like, 15 times what I sent him. I think, what? Is he has a stroke? What's happening? And I went, oh, this meeting's on Gr- Groundhog's Day. He's just trying to have fun with me. So, hey, have some fun whoa, whoa, out whoa, there. Whoa. We got to do a trivia question. What's the song playing on the radio every time Bill Murray wakes up in Groundhog Day? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, Sonny and Cher? I got you, babe. Yeah, I was right. Sonny and Cher. All there right. You go. All right. Have a good night. <laughs>